I like to cook, and the one thing I've come to learn is that the best way to improve the flavor of any dish is to make sure you're using high-quality ingredients, which is why I love using ButcherBox to get all my meat, poultry, and fish products. They are far and away the best option out there, so if you haven't yet ordered from them, I highly encourage you to give them a try today. Not only do they give you tons of options, you can get any cut you want, and it's always top of the line, but... It's also way more convenient than going to the butcher or grocery store. They always provide free delivery right to your door. They have awesome ribeyes, strip steaks, and steak tips that have all the right marbling. Chicken wings, breasts, and thighs full of flavor, and their fish is all wild caught with no additives. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs. Two pounds of ground beef or one pound of those premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash scarymysteries and use code scarymysteries to choose your free offer and get $20 off. So one more time, because this is key, new users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code SCARYMYSTERIES and get $20 off your first box. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in-depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Five terrifying tales from killer earthquake and tsunami survivors. Violent natural disasters have always been a part of life. They serve as a reminder that despite everything we've collectively achieved, Nature will always have the last call. While it's almost impossible to elude these catastrophes, there are those who manage to get away, but not without terrible experiences. Here are five terrifying tales from killer earthquake and tsunami survivors. Number 5. Christine Lang On December 26, 2004, A catastrophic 9.1 magnitude earthquake struck the west coast of Sumatra, Indonesia. The quake created a tsunami that was so massive, it resulted in the deaths of approximately 230,000 people. Nearly 2 million people from neighboring South Asia and East Africa countries also lost their homes. A woman named Christine Lang was on the island of Kofifi in Thailand. She and a friend were strolling the island shopping district when out of nowhere, a throng of people came running towards them. Christine and her companion were far from the beach, so they had no idea what the commotion was about. At first, they thought it was some terrorist attack, as they heard whooshing sounds similar to that of fighter jets. With the panicked crowd rushing, Christine and her friend were prompted to do the same. That's when Christine first noticed the ankle-deep water below her. But with everyone fleeing for their lives, Christine barely had a chance to look back. When she finally turned around, she saw a sight that froze her with fear. 
a massive black wall of water, around three to four stories high, coming straight towards her. That huge column of water swallowed everyone and everything in its path. People came tumbling down under the waves as random objects, big and small, were thrown into the deadly mix. The wave caught Christine eventually, so she curled herself up, shielding her head as she was tossed around. The woman went on to later say that she felt like she was in a massive washing machine. By the time the jostling had slowed down, she found herself deep underwater, about 40 to 50 meters deep. She managed to swim to the surface, but was met once again by dangerous debris rushing all over the place. It was a dreadful situation to be in, but a spark of hope arose as Christine caught sight of a safe haven, a rooftop. Despite the current and debris swirling around her, Christine managed to safely swim to the roof with the help of two other people. There, they took refuge until the water finally subsided. As the water began to crawl back into the ocean, survivors like Christine also began to work their way further inland. She eventually reached the hotel where she was staying, and from the balcony she could see the devastation caused by what would now be referred to as the Boxing Day Tsunami. Her brother, who was on the trip with her, also survived, but his girlfriend, the friend who she lost along the way, did not. Christine Lang is now living her life back at her home in Vancouver, Canada, where she works as an elementary school teacher. Number 4. Monique McLennan On February 22, 2011, a magnitude 7 earthquake struck the city of Christchurch in New Zealand, followed by intense aftershocks. It happened only months after the city was hit with a much stronger quake, but in terms of damage, this one was far worse. Almost 7,000 injuries were reported during the first 24 hours of the Christchurch earthquake, and 185 lives were lost. Monique McClellan's harrowing tale of survival describes the pure terror that everyone faced on that day. It began with just another day at the office. Monique was heating her lunch in the cafeteria on the first floor of the PGC building when all of a sudden a violent, uncontrollable shaking rocked the entire vicinity. She could see her workmates lunging straight under the cafeteria tables as walls collapsed and glass shattered. She tried to duck under her table, but the lower part of her body was caught by a falling door. The weight of the fixture and the pain the impact caused knocked her out. When she regained consciousness, she felt a heaviness on her back all the way down to her knees. Despite this, she realized the possibility of an aftershock. She knew she needed to move to a safer place as soon as possible. However, her mobility was seriously hampered. All she could do was lie there, struggling to breathe, as she listened to people around her screaming and moaning in excruciating pain. Desperation took hold, and Monique realized that if she wanted to survive, she had to get rid of the body part that was holding her down. In a later interview, she said that she wasn't sure if she was going to have to break or dislocate her legs. Thankfully, she didn't have to choose. Her struggle to break free was eventually successful, 
However, there was another problem. She, as well as the others in the room, still couldn't breathe freely due to the thick dust. Once again, her consciousness was slipping away from her. It was then that Monique accepted her fate to perish under the rubbles of the PGC building. As she waited to die, she saw her life flash before her eyes. She felt very sorrowful that she wouldn't be able to say goodbye to the people that mattered to her. But just as she was about to ultimately lose all hope, she heard a man calling out to her and everyone inside the cafeteria, Help is coming shortly. Hang in there. And while it felt like forever, the relentless efforts of firefighters and volunteers paid off eventually as Monique and the others were pulled out of the collapsed building. Doctors later diagnosed Monique with acute PTSD. What usually triggers her anxiety is when she feels heaviness on her back. Despite all this, she now lives a new life free of regret, doing what she always wanted, to be a pinup star. Number 3. Epayani Getting caught in the ravages of a natural disaster is terrifying enough, but how much worse would it be if your family and loved ones were also caught in the same predicament? Malabo, a town in West H Regency, Indonesia, was one of the heavily affected areas during the December 26, 2004 earthquake. Located close to the quake's epicenter, this city was among those with the highest casualties. Reports indicate that roughly half of its 40,000 residents perished during the calamity. Epayani, one of the town's residents, recalled the nightmarish ordeal that everyone went through that day. Her entire family, including herself, were at a military compound when they witnessed an unbelievably terrifying scene. They saw the ocean, 200 yards away from their home, rising to a horrifying height and rapidly rushing towards the dry land. The woman, her husband, and three children barely managed to escape as the ravaging force of water came in from all directions. Adrenaline kicked in, and they all managed to climb a tree right beside their house. However, the waters kept on rising, forcing them to jump on top of a roof. They then decided to split into two, Epiyani with her 10-year-old son, Pandi, and 4-year-old daughter, Nona, while the other group consisted of her husband, a soldier, and their 9-year-old son, Wira. Waves continued to crash and pound on the building where they were perched on, and by the third wave, the entire house collapsed, throwing everyone into the water. Another wave came, and it tore Epiyani away from her children and husband. She couldn't do anything at that point, but let herself be carried away by the powerful surge. But then, a miracle happened. Epiyani washed up, back on land where she found her two children alive. But yet again, more waves came crashing in, and the water level kept on rising. They picked themselves up, ran towards a nearby mosque, and climbed its tall minaret for safety. They all felt great relief when they saw the water slowly draining back to the sea. They came down the minaret and proceeded to a military headquarters along with other refugees. However, Mori began to kick in when she couldn't find her husband and their son. Two days went by 
and she could only assume that the two had already perished in the waters. But much to her and her family's surprise, soldiers found her husband alive. And later on, her son also came back alive. Apparently, the boy had remained afloat on a mattress for two days before being found. But despite the joy of reuniting with her family, Epiani couldn't help but grieve for the thousands of other people who died in that tragedy. She recalled how her town was like an ocean with its waters turned black due to the decomposing bodies. Epiani, along with other survivors, were eventually evacuated by helicopter from their shelter to a nearby military compound in Banda Achi. Number 2. Ryo Kanauya On March 11, 2011, an earthquake with a magnitude of 9.0 hit a region off the coast of Japan. The seismic waves caused heavy damage, but it was nothing compared to the huge tsunami that came after. A lot of lives and homes were lost that day. Among those who were affected by the waves was Ryo Kanauya. Ryo was living with his parents, sister, and grandparents in the village of Nami, Fukushima. He was at work when the quake hit and quickly rushed home to see what had become of his house. It was a huge relief to him when he found his home standing and his family all safe. With that worry gone and no work to do, Ryo planned to spend the day watching TV. But little did he know, his worries had only just begun. First, the electricity went out, so Ryo could no longer watch TV, but that was the least of his problems that day. His dad, who was upstairs, called him in a panic. From the second floor of their house, they saw a massive tidal wave coming in their direction. With that tsunami quickly approaching, they couldn't do anything except brace for its upcoming impact. At first, their house was able to withstand the hit. However, with each new crash, it grew weaker and weaker until it finally gave way. Ryo and his family were washed into the currents and away from each other. After a few minutes of being thrown back and forth, Ryo managed to climb onto a floating drawer. That gave him a momentary rest and enough time to check his surroundings. He noticed that everything was being pulled back to the ocean. He also saw a mass of debris stuck to a large tree, which he was able to grab onto. Holding on for dear life, Ryo could do nothing but witness people, some of his neighbors screaming for help while being swept back to the sea. Most of them were never seen again. The tide eventually subsided, prompting Ryo to climb down to the streets all wet, cold, and near naked. He immediately set off looking for higher ground. While on his way, he called out loudly, hoping to find other survivors. No one answered. He later came upon an elderly man, who was also on his way inland. They both ended up at a nearby evacuation camp, where they were given clothing and treatment for their wounds. Due to the meltdown of the nearby Fukushima nuclear power plant, Ryo and the rest of the neighborhood were barred from returning to what was left of their property. They proceeded to a much larger rescue shelter in Odaka. There, Ryo was reunited with his father, 
as well as his sister and mother who were both not at home during the tsunami surge. Number 1. Dwayne Meadows In the face of immense danger, only those with a sharp presence of mind can survive. Dwayne Meadows, a marine biologist and a seasoned diver, took a trip to Thailand on the fateful month of December 2004. He planned to spend the holiday at the world-famous Samilian Islands Marine National Park. He had set his own itinerary, and things were going great up until his snorkeling trip at a local coral fan formation. No amount of planning would have ever prepared him for what came next. On the peaceful morning of December 26th, Dwayne suddenly heard piercing screams from the beach. He looked through the window of his bungalow and saw the beach emptying as if its waters were being sucked up. He then saw a thick white line of foam that was fast approaching the land. For someone who built his career around the ocean, Dwayne immediately knew what was coming, a tsunami. It happened quickly. Within a few seconds, a staggering 15-foot wave blasted through the walls of his bungalow. The next thing he knew, Dwayne was deep underwater, spinning around sideways and flipping over. As a former lifeguard, he knew better than to fight the current. He allowed himself to be thrown, tossed, and carried over to the inland, then to the sea, then back again to land in a seemingly endless cycle. When he finally got the chance, Dwayne immediately swam towards the safety of the shore and ran as fast as he could from the beach. He met other survivors along the way and urged all of them to continue pushing to higher ground. Another tsunami wave hit soon after, but fortunately for Dwayne and the others, its surge died out a few feet away from where they were standing. Despite the injuries and wounds he incurred, Dwayne spent the rest of the time rendering first aid to other survivors. It was only later that day when other responders arrived that he finally went to a hospital for treatment. This harrowing experience prompted the scientists to become involved firsthand in the efforts to rebuild the communities destroyed by the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. So there were five terrifying tales from killer earthquake and tsunami survivors. Perhaps nothing else can be more terrifying than being caught in a natural disaster. The stories of these survivors serve as a reminder to us that, at the end of the day, we are all but at the mercy of Mother Nature. Thanks for tuning in. Check out my new recent interview with the good guys over at the Credence and Bishop show, where we talk about all things creepy and strange. The link is in the description below. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.